You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. If you turn with me to that passage in Luke chapter 7, you'll see that in in Luke 7 there are uh, four great miracles. Um, the, The first one is a great miracle. It's the healing of a centurion's servant. You remember uh, Jesus said to the centurion, look, go home and you'll find that he's well. And, and he took Jesus at his word and discovered that he was healed. A great miracle. And then there's a greater miracle in, uh, later on in the chapter there from verse 11, where Jesus raises the dead son of the widow of Nain. And then there's the greatest miracle of all, and that's the forgiving and restoring of a sinful woman that we have read together, uh, that, that we read there from uh, verse 36. And I say that's the greatest miracle of all. The reason I say that is because it is the greatest miracle of all. Today, there is great emphasis uh, given in the church to miracles of healing. And, and that which is sensational. But those are not the greatest miracles. I don't doubt that God still heals. Indeed, I would argue all healing comes from God, whether he uses medical means or means outside medicine. Occasionally, he does that. It's rare, but he still does that. But the greatest miracle of all that can ever take place is the saving of a lost sinner. There's nothing greater than that. Because after all, it meets the greatest need, doesn't it? God can heal the body, and the person will eventually become old and become ill and die. Even those other miracles, you know, the people who received those miracles, they, they died eventually. But, but salvation is forever. It's for eternity. It, it's, it's amazing. So it meets the greatest need and, and it produces the greatest results because it produces changed lives. Lives are changed from, from being self-centered to being God-glorifying. And it required the greatest price of all. You know, um, it costs very little, I suppose you could say, for God to heal the sick. But it cost his son's death on the cross for him to save the lost. It cost his son's death. More than that, of course. It wasn't just the physical death that the Lord Jesus suffered on the cross and the physical agony that he went through, of course. It was the fact that that God poured out his righteous indignation, his wrath upon his own sinless son. Paul puts it like this, that he became a curse for us. Imagine. I, I, I cannot get my head around that, how the sinless son of God could actually become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And yet that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And that's why I say it is the greatest, the greatest miracle that, that can take place. But it's this parable in the middle of this little story that I want you 
to notice. And maybe we'll just read those three verses again. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. The parable that's before us here is all about forgiveness. All about forgiveness. Now, we don't know why Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner. We're not told. It's not like in the case of Zacchaeus. We're told why Zacchaeus brought him. Zacchaeus' life had been changed uh, when he met the Lord. You remember that time he climbed the tree to see him? But, but what we're, we are told in this uh, dinner party that took place that an uninvited guest turned up. One that the host wasn't very happy to see. One who was known to the host and was embarrassed by her coming. But Jesus, however, uses the interruption to teach some very important lessons about forgiveness. And, and these are the lessons that we want to take on board as we look at this story. And here's the first lesson that I want to share with you uh, just now. It's this. We all need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. You need it. I need it. Every single one of us. And here in this story, the Pharisee and the woman, the woman, by the way, who was known by everyone to be an immoral woman, it illustrates for us different kinds of sins and the fact that, that everyone sins and everyone needs God's forgiveness. Well, what kinds of sins are there? Well, there are sins of the flesh and there are sins of the spirit. Simon was not guilty of immorality. There's nothing to suggest in the story that he was. By all accounts, he was a decent, upright, moral individual. Nonetheless, Nonetheless, he was still a sinner. In the Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew 23, Jesus, you remember, rebuked the Pharisees for their self-righteousness and their unwillingness to admit their sins. They were guilty of hypocrisy and pride. They condemned others in order to exalt themselves. That's what they liked to do. They were covetous not only for money, but also for prestige and for the praise of men. They practiced their religion only to be seen by men. I don't know about you, but when I look at the Bible and read about the Pharisees, you know, you think to yourself, how could they be so thick? How, how, how could they not see it? How could they not see that they were arrogant and looking down on people? That was so obvious. And, and yet, I, I, think, I think there's a danger for those of us in the evangelical Christian family. You know, we can adopt a superior, a superior attitude and look down on others. And, and sometimes our motives are questionable. We can do the right things, but we can do them for the wrong reason. Let, let me give you an illustration. Um, my, my first charge 
uh, in the ministry was in Third Portland Own, and and uh, there's another congregation in Portland Own, First Portland Own. We have First Portland Own and Third Portland Own. I remember one of the former ministers of Third Portland Own saying there was no that uh, Third was Third Portland Own because there wouldn't be second to anyone, but. That's not, there was a second at one time. Anyway, we had a shared evening service. So I got the opportunity and the privilege to sit under the ministry of Albert Baxter every other week. And, and believe me, it was a wonderful preacher. But Albert never missed the Christians in his congregation when it came to advertising the midweek. He really made it very hard for them not to come. He really laid it on thick and heavy. But then he would give off to me that if he was away, if he happened to be away on holiday, the attendance at the midweek halved. Now you ask yourself a question, why would that be? Why would that be? If he had to go and take a week of meetings, say, the attendance went down. In fact, it got to the stage, he never told them he was going for a week of meetings so that it would still come thinking that he was there. But it makes you wonder, what are the motives? You know, were they coming there to be seen of men? And how does that apply to us? You know, when we come to church to worship God, is it to look good to others? Going to the midweek, is it to be seen of men? I, I, I think, I, I look into my own heart. Yes, sometimes I, I don't want to look bad. But that's not, that's not the right motive. And, and so that's important that we look at our motives. Our, our, our motive surely should be to worship and to pray. So we need to examine ourselves. Now, we mustn't get the idea in this story that, that Jesus approved of immorality and disapproved of hypocrisy. He admits in this story that the woman was a sinner. You see it there in verses 47 and 48. 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. 48, and Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. She was guilty of gross sins of the flesh, but Simon was guilty of sins of the Spirit. So the sins of the flesh, sins of the Spirit. There's also sins of commission and sins of omission. Simon uh, knew what the woman had done, but forgot what he himself had not done. He had not even shown Jesus the common courtesies of the home. There was no kiss of welcome, no water for his feet, no oil for his head. It, it was bad that the woman fell into sin, but it was worse that Simon was living in sin, and he didn't know it. You see, folks, the person who does not do what God requires is just as guilty as the person who does what God forbids. Do you see that? Let me say that again. The person who does not do what God requires is just as guilty as the person who does what God forbids. We're big on what Christians should not do, aren't we? Christians shouldn't do this, they shouldn't do that. Apparently, one time W.P. Nicholson from a bygone age was asked, what is a Christian? No, he asked someone else what was a Christian. And they said, oh, a Christian, someone doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, and doesn't go out with bad women. W.P. Nicholson said, well, if that's a Christian, my dog's a Christian. Because it doesn't smoke, it doesn't drink, and it doesn't go out with bad women. 
You can't define Christianity by what Christians don't do, but by what they do do. There are things that we are to do, and, and we're very careful about not doing those things that we believe to be wrong, but not so careful about doing those things that we should be doing and we're not doing. So there's sins of commission and sins of omission. And then there are open sins and there are hidden sins. Everyone at this dinner knew everything about this woman's past. Her sins were open and flagrant. But only the Lord Jesus knew the sins of Simon's life. You see, folks, we can fool others about our lives, can't we? Even our nearest and dearest we can fool, but we cannot fool the Lord. We cannot. It's impossible. And that's something all of us needs to take on board. We can fool other people. We can't fool him. It's important to realize that we are all sinners, whether we feel guilty or not. And that's the whole point of the parable before us before us here. Both of the men in this parable were in debt. Both of them were bankrupt. The difference between 500 denarii and 50 denarii is not a, de a difference, is not a, a, a difference in guilt, but a difference in a sense of guilt. This woman was not more lost than the Pharisee. She only felt her guilt and her need for mercy far, far more than Simon did. In the Bible, uh, leprosy is often uh, used as a picture of sin. Now, leprosy attacks the nerve endings so that the victim has no feeling. And, and if he's injured in some way, there's no pain to warn him. You know, none of us like pain. At the minute, I have a, a wisdom tooth. Sorry, I have the remains of a wisdom tooth up in here, top row at the back, and the dentist tried to get it out, and he broke it. And I have to go on Tuesday to get the rest of it out. I'm not looking forward to it. I know there's going to be pain. But pain's your friend. Pain tells you there's something wrong. That's important. If you didn't have that pain, you could do damage to yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pain is your friend. None of us like it, but it's our friend. And, and leprosy attacks the nerves of limbs so they're injured in some way. They've no pain to warn them. Consequently, infection sets in, and then the limb can start to die. Sin has a similar deadening effect. There are many people who have no sense of sin, no sense of guilt. Thank God for people like this woman who felt her need and came to the Savior. You can't help but pity someone like Simon. And maybe, maybe there's someone here and, and you don't feel guilty. And you don't feel any need. I desperately worry for you if you're like that. When God has nothing to say to you, you're in big trouble. If God is disturbing you and making you feel guilty, you thank God for that. 
And if he's not, pray that God will stir you up. That, that God will shake your conscience. That God will make you feel guilty. Because that's the first thing you need before you can ever turn to him. You need to understand that you need to be forgiven. You need to repent. So that's the first thing. All of us need forgiveness. The second thing is that forgiveness is the gracious gift of God. Forgiveness is the gracious gift of God. First of all, forgiveness is all of grace. It says in the story, he canceled the debts of both. In the little parable, he canceled the debts of both. Folks, forgiveness is not something that we can purchase. It's not something that we can earn. Why? Because we're bankrupt spiritually. Just like these people in this story were bankrupt physically, we are bankrupt spiritually. So we can't earn it. We can't purchase it. We have nothing with which to pay. And so Paul, writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says this, For it is by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The only way sinners can be saved is by God's grace. Secondly, forgiveness is received by faith. The woman's tears didn't save her, because no amount of remorse or tears can save a soul. You're familiar with the words of the hymn writer. Could my zeal no respite? No, could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Only when repentance is joined with faith in Christ, it leads to even greater guilt and condemnation. Though This woman must have heard the Lord Jesus earlier, repented of her faith, and put her trust in him. Because Jesus says to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And the tense of the verb means they have been forgiven, they are forgiven, they stand forgiven. And how? Verse 50, your faith has saved you. Forgiveness is all of grace. Forgiveness is received by faith. And forgiveness is certain. Jesus gave assurance to this woman before he sent her away. She heard him, she overheard him say to Simon in verse 47, her sins are forgiven. And then he turns directly to her in verse 48, and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you had asked this woman a week later, how do you know that you're saved? She would have replied, because Jesus said so. How do people know today that they're saved. Because the word of God says so. First John 5.13, these things are written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Assurance of salvation comes from the word of God witnessed by the Spirit of God. And then, of course, forgiveness is costly. In this parable of the two debtors, the creditor took the loss. The 550 denarii had to be paid. The two debtors couldn't pay it. 
so the person who was owed it had to pay it. He cancelled the debts of both. He had to pay the price of the debt. Folks, let me say this. I'm sure you've heard this before. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. It cost the Lord Jesus his life on the cross. No one at the banquet that day knew how much it cost the Lord Jesus to say to that woman, your sins are forgiven. It cost Jesus the fact that he had to go to the cross and become sin for us, become a curse for us. It was because of that that Jesus could say to this woman, your sins are forgiven. Wonder if any of them were there at Calvary and watched the events and heard him cry out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We all need forgiveness. Forgiveness is the gift of God. But finally, forgiveness results in a changed life. The woman's faith in Christ changed her. The condemnation and terror of the law didn't change her. The religious system of the Pharisees didn't change her. No, it was the grace of God that changed her. How does Paul put it right into Corinthians and 2 Corinthians 5.17? He says, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What, what are some of the new things that characterized her life? Well, let me suggest to you, first of all, a new love. A new love. When you feel great guilt as a sinner, you experience great love as a saint. And this explains why the Apostle Paul had such a love for the Lord. He knew how guilty he was as a non-converted sinner. He was Saul of Tarsus. He went about breathing out hatred toward the church. He rounded up Christians, saw them jailed, was delighted whenever the first martyr happened. Kept the coats of those who stoned the first martyr. And Paul never forgot that. Was overwhelmed by the love of Christ and what Christ had done for him in spite of his sin. So, so this woman had a new love. And, and here is one of the evidences of having been forgiven. Love for Christ, love for others. Notice, this woman's not ashamed to show her love to Christ openly. People were watching. This was in broad daylight. Some of them were even embarrassed at what she was doing. But she went right on anointing him, kissing his feet, weeping over him, totally unashamed. This was no quick, you know, once-for-all action like, like a nervous teenager. You know when a nervous teenager is asked to kiss his granny goodbye? They're going away. And, and so the granny kisses him and immediately, you know, he's so embarrassed. No, no, this woman is lingering over the Lord Jesus here. She's not ashamed. Is our love for Christ wholehearted? Is our life love for Christ as unashamed 
as this woman. She had a new love and she had a new freedom. The Lord sent the woman away wearing his easy yoke. She had been wearing the heavy yoke of bondage to sins of the flesh. But Jesus had forgiven her. And, and forgiveness always, always leads to freedom. If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, the problem with sin is this. Sin always promises freedom. Do you notice that? You know, kick off the restraints. That's what the devil says to us. Be free. But sin always brings bondage because the sins that people then indulge in just enslave them. Simon the Pharisee had no freedom because there is no freedom in religious legalism. So she had a new love, she had a new freedom, and she had a new peace. Because she was forgiven, this woman had peace with God. Look at there in verse, verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go, go in peace. Isaiah 48, 22 says, there is no peace for the wicked. Paul writing to the Romans in five, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified with God, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women, this is man's fundamental problem, isn't it? Wasn't that the, the title of Billy Graham's first book, Peace with God? Our problem is we are born at enmity with God. We are by nature rebels against God. We need our relationship renewed. We need to be made friends with God. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, came to do. This woman went home a changed person. Simon the Pharisee could have become a changed person, but he missed the opportunity. And his problem was spiritual blindness. To begin with, Simon didn't see himself for what he was. He thought he was a righteous person acceptable to God, when in reality he was bankrupt, condemned, unclean. He could see the sins of other people, but he couldn't see his own. Tell me, have you seen yourself as you really are? Simon really didn't see the woman either. He saw only her past. Jesus saw her past and her present and her future. Simon saw only the outside. The Lord saw her heart. And the basic reason for Simon's blindness was he didn't really see the Lord Jesus. Because we're told he called him teacher. You remember but in his heart, he called him teacher, but in his heart he said, if this man were a prophet, he would know that this woman's a sinner. Until we know the Lord Jesus personally, we can never have any spiritual, our spiritual eyes open to see ourselves and others as they really are. But it's so important that we see ourselves, that we know ourselves. And we only, that only happens whenever we allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Folks, that's so important. We need to understand our need before we can apply to the Lord for the solution. We need to realize that all of us need forgiveness. That we stand guilty, condemned, unclean. And here's the one who offers a remedy 
who offers salvation, who offers forgiveness to blot out all our sins, to cast our sins into the sea of his forgetfulness, as far as east is from the west, to remove our sins from us, never to be mentioned again. There is therefore now no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. 